we'll just wait a couple, a couple of minutes here. There's a handout that I want everybody to have. Um, Kenneth went upstairs to get it. So. have them each maybe grab one pass them down so what you're getting is just a, a, a little sheet it can serve for two, two purposes, not only for the notes that are on the one side, but also in case you want to uh, make some notations on the opposite side, it, it serves as also a note, a note sheet as well. Uh, I've already told you a number of times that uh, even before I was pastoring, I never, I never went to a gathering uh, without an intention of, of really engaging it. And even if it was only jotting a few things down, I made it a point to, to try to come with, uh, with the intention of, of writing something down, perhaps, that God was speaking to me about. And so, you know, I'm not, again, not trying to hammer at anyone, but at the same time, um, I'm a big believer that if you're actually serious about engaging something, then you try to listen for what God is trying to say to you. And... If, you're, if you do that, you will find that the Lord can speak through even a, a, a poorly delivered lesson or a, perhaps something that you've heard a hundred times. It may still be fresh because of the attitude that was taken as we approached it. And so um, now that we all kind of have this uh, paper and we're going to jump in for, in a moment here, but again, I just want to pray, gather us back together. Um, I don't want to assume that everyone here is necessarily just uh, you know, committed to following Jesus. I'm assuming also that most of us are, and uh, that's why we came. Also, I need to make an assumption that there are some of us here who maybe we haven't been coming to Cornerstone for but for a little while, and so you know, there might be a little anxiety associated with not really knowing anyone. Um, it's even possible you don't know who I am. I'm you know, they call me around here, Pastor Terry. I'm a senior pastor here at Cornerstone. But uh, obviously, I'm also part of the men's community. And I share the same challenge as anyone, any man, who sincerely wants to be a Christian. What I'm going to suggest is that um, not only am I a pastor, but I'm also a Christian. And I believe that I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus first, and a pastor second. And so there's a commonality, whether or not we are leading, and I think we lead more than we know. You may lead in a small group. You may lead in a ministry. You may lead in your home. Um, you may lead in ways that you're not even aware of, that doesn't even have an official title that would even resemble anything called a leader, but you have influence. And whenever we have influence, we lead at some level. And I think that makes what we're about to talk about significant and very important. And my prayer is that we would indeed be um, strengthened in our resolve to honor God and, and to love Him. And so uh, I know we, you maybe you've had a long, a long day already, maybe a long week. But Lord, and if you can, as we're praying, you know, I, you know what I'd like us to do if we can, just maybe even take our hand and put it on our heart, God. We pledge at times to you and to this country, but I, Lord, just as a statement of humility, really, and sincerity, I just, you know, we, we, we ask you, God, in a spirit of humility, to speak to us, Lord, and uh, we confess before you that we are, we are men who have, have sinned, and we, we break your heart at times, God. We've sometimes stepped over lines that we know clearly were wrong. And there are other times where, God, we simply have, it's not been something we've done. It's been, honestly, it's been something we didn't do that we were supposed to do. And um, we just, we stand before you, Lord, 
And we are, we are extraordinarily grateful for your love for us, for your forgiveness, for your kindness, for your mercy, for your grace, Lord. If there are things you want to just heal tonight, if there are things that you want to convict us around, God, if there are points that you want to reinforce about what it means to live this life with integrity before you, I just really ask that you would indeed challenge us, God. Um, we need two things from you, Lord. We need your challenging touch that would provoke us, and we also need your grace that reminds us that even as you're pushing us, God, you love us. Even as you're calling us to move towards something, you've promised to come behind us and walk us into it. And uh, some of this stuff, Lord, you know, it's not flesh and blood. It's not the bullet or the bowie knife. It has to do with the spirit. It has to do with things that we cannot see, but we see the effects of them. And we really want to pray, as David prayed, for, for clean, cleansing in the inner man, at the inner part of who we are, God. You said out of our belly, out of our inner being flows things. What comes out of us, God, out of our inner person, inner man, this is ultimately what can defile or make or break us, God. And so we ask that we would not be simply contented with doing the surface things, but we invite you, God, to speak to us at a heart level, at a soul level. We need your, we need your grace. We need your spirit, Holy Spirit. Come and move as you please. Speak in Jesus' name I ask this, Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Okay, this, this gathering was renamed something. This went from being called Iron Sharpens Iron, which was a good name, biblical, you know, um, I think Proverbs 27, right? But now it's called Forge. I was thinking about this. Forge, what does it mean? I want to uh, put, there, the, the Forge is both a verb and a noun. As a verb, it has three meanings, two major ones and one that's more subtle. I want to look at the three meanings of what forge is. That's what we're calling our gathering. And I want to use it kind of as a template for thinking about what God's trying to do in our lives. And that'll just be an introduction. So I want to suggest that as we talk about these three definitions of forge, you can turn, put that up on the, on the PowerPoint. The, number one, forge is defined as this. It has to do with making or shaping um, a metal object by heating and hammering uh, something, the metal. And I'll just wait for Kyung. You guys got that? OK. Still cooking at the. Uh... We'll all get to eat. All right. Well, I'm going to wait, because I want you to be able to see it. I don't want to just talk and stall. but. I can, I can do that, too, for a little bit. But basically, Forge has three, three I'll tell you what, when you guys get it, you got it. Uh, OK, so I'm not going to just double check something here. I'm not going to be able to see it on the other screen. Is that correct, Luke? OK, OK. Now, we're, now I'm understanding how this is working. All right. OK, so to make or shape a metal object by heating and hammering the metal, all, many of us are familiar with the idea. You saw that, that image of the, of the anvil there, right? This is the whole idea. It carries with it the idea of uh, a metalsmith, uh, a blacksmith, someone who's a, sometimes called a smithy, working, hammering out heated metal to make it into a tool that is usable and capable. It has to do with this whole idea. Interesting, the idea of hammering is mentioned there and heating is mentioned there. I want us to think for a moment about this as a metaphor for our lives, that we are being shaped and formed by Jesus. This whole idea of forge has to do with this process of being made into an instrument of usability for God so that the Lord will take us into a place where, yes, at times he will heat things up. He will actually hammer us even if we can think of it that way. He will allow things to happen in our lives to form us and to shape us and to make us into a usable instrument. So one of the definitions of forge, which is the predominant meaning that we've utilized here, has to do with shaping something and making it usable. So there's an idea that God wants to use us. 
but he can't really use us the way that he wants to use us without first shaping us and working inside of us, as it were. Think of God working us into a tool. Think of God working on us so that we can be able to benefit something that he wants to see happen in this world. This whole idea of God calling us to be kingdom representatives, to be difference makers in our spheres of influence, to be able to, to make, make a, an impact in some small way for the goodness of God so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You know, they may acknowledge the goodness of God at work in our lives, that some of us are fathers, that, that our children would see that. Some of us and our jobs, we, we really haven't taken full responsibility for representing Jesus in our workplace. And something about what God wants to do is form us, continue to work, on, work us so that we can become a type of instrument for him. So this whole idea of forge being connected to a metal shop and the idea of metal being heated and shaped and formed. Second definition closely related to it has to do with this idea of creating. So forge sometimes means creating, as in a phrase here, as in to forge a close relationship. All right, so I'm creating, I'm, I'm seeing something being brought into being. Those two ideas actually have similarities. One obviously distinct to, you know, a metalsmith, but the other one has to do with something that God... So think about them together as being something of what God is trying to do. Form, shape, make, create in us a capacity to be a difference maker for Him in some way. So think of these two things. We, talk, we are gathered here to be forged. We are gathered here to be formed. We are gathered here to become a better version of what God made us to be. And so that's, that is a desire... And if whatever incremental movement God would bring because we're here, I pray that it would be brought to pass. Now, what is also interesting is many of us are familiar with the third way that this word is used as a verb. I thought about this as well. I don't think this is what they had in mind necessarily when we thought of the name. But here's number three. To produce a copy. It could be a banknote, a work of art, a signature. Something for the purpose of what? Deception. But you know what? As I thought about this, this actually has a whole lot more meaning than we initially think it does. Um, this idea of, of our purpose, obviously, is connected with the positive aspect of being forged and formed. But there's a negative aspect, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But in your, on that sheet that I gave you in Romans 12, Paul writes this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Can you just say this next phrase with me? And do not be, and do not be conformed to this world. One more, one more phrase. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So do not be conformed, shaped, defined, molded, formed, forged by the dominant culture that surrounds us. Instead, we are being told here in the Holy Scriptures, in, in God's Word, that we are to be shaped, reformed, created into something that is different, into something that is renewed, into a different kind of form that we may prove what is that good and that, what does it say, that acceptable and perfect will of God, that we may, listen, brothers, that we may realize the plan of God at work for our lives. We are not to allow, according to this, these two verses, allow our culture, our world, um, the dominant way of viewing reality which, if you haven't taken a look lately at our papers, at our magazines, at our motion pictures that we use, at the songs that are sung, the dominant reality is a reality that does not make reference to God, except in manners, honestly, that have to do more with cursing Him than honoring Him and loving Him. 
Now, I, I'm not saying that as a, a legalist, and I'm not saying anything, but I'm making an observation. The reality is we live in a culture that, is, that, for the most part, excludes the idea of God working in our lives as commonplace and reality. The characters we watch on TV, what we're looking at on, in various forms, whether it's in, on the, the new form of media, through the new technologies that we have, the games that are being played, the interactions that are taking place. Listen to me. You guys know this is true. So much of our everydayness of life does not include God in it. And so we are vulnerable. Listen, we are vulnerable to being sucked into a reality that sort of corners off God into a something that maybe we consider for a very brief period a couple of times a week at most. And I want to suggest that this these two verses are challenging us to really resist the dominant culture, to live counterculturally as men, to think clearly about what it means to honor God in terms of the everydayness of our life, and to make sure that we are resisting the tide, as you were, not living apart from relationship with the Lord, but including Him. Now, I think the message translation actually really helps us in appreciating, it's almost like an amplification of it. Notice what it says right below here. So here's what I want you to do. This is the message rendering. God helping you. Take your everyday, notice, er, what does it say? Everyday, what ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you know, going to work and walking around that life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Now I want you to, can we read this, can you read this next sentence with me? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's really, that's, a, that's fantastic. It's a, think about it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Challenge how you're living. Challenge how we're thinking. Challenge how we are defining our reality. This is what he's saying. Don't let the world, our culture, our world, shape us into being something other than what God wants us to be. Instead, transcend it. Get past it. Define yourself in contrast to the dominant culture attempt to squeeze you into what it wants us to be. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to pull out. We've already talked about this many times. It's not about being mad. You know what? Being mad won't solve anything, really, not too much. I mean, it's not about protesting, really. I don't think it's, I think we can pray for things to be different. But the fact is, we live in this culture. We live in this city. We live in this place. There's a lot of things about it that I do enjoy. But I want to suggest to you that for a Christian... So much of our everydayness is extraordinarily toxic. And there is a lot of pressure being placed on us to be conformed to an image other than Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying there's this insidious plan from people or from Hollywood or from whatever. I do believe in the reality of spiritual warfare, and I do believe there is a plan from the pit designed to pull us under. There's no question about that to me because Jesus talked about it as a reality. So if Jesus defined it as a reality, then I understand there are all kinds of things going on that we cannot see. At the same token, we have the spirit. Other men are strengthened, people who need us to be, to be strong. And I'll tell you one of the things that Kyung, I just hear his heart on. He is asking for men in our church to stand up and be strong in the Lord, and to carry weight. And, I, and some of us are going, I can't do that. And this is something that I was thinking about a lot. And let me show you the next diagram here, or the next way of looking at this. This is what I will call the slippage of integrity. This is what happens when what we say and believe and what we do have actually not, we are watching the overlap in these two areas it's not strong, it's barely there. But it's, it's there, but there's a, look, if someone were to really know our life, there's a lot of inconsistencies. There's a lot of disconnect. 
there is a large gap. And you're saying, well, how do you know when the gap is this and when the gap is that? How do you know when it's healthy and when it's not healthy? You know what? You know it. When you're honest with God, when we're honest with God, we know it. And it shows up in our actions, shows up in what we allow to enter into the gate of our heart. It, it shows up, honestly, with what we, how we are yielding to the continual bombardment of temptations to our left and our right to pull back and diminish what God's trying to do in our life. It shows up as, as, as our world is a tough, tough place. There's a lot of pressure. And there are many, many, many temptations. You cannot wake up and go through a day without being tempted to deviate off the path of God's plan for us. Some of us, the first thing we do when we get to work, by even that whole idea of turning on a computer is an immediate issue of temptation before the day is out. It's fact. And I'm, I'm just saying that there are many temptations out there to live poorly, to dishonor God. Um, and I think one of, that there's also spiritual forces that are aligned to undermine um, our integrity. I'm going to show you. I want us, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me because this one I didn't put in your handout up or even on the screen. But if you do, turn to 1 Peter 5 real quick here. 1 Peter 5. I want us to see something. It says um, in verse 6, and I want us to notice this as we move along here. It says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 1 Peter 5, 6, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Have a proper estimate of what, what your real danger is. Because, Peter suggests, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. Notice that word. The same experiences, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered, walk through this trial. That's the context. We'll use it. May he take you through this time of testing, perfect, established and strengthened and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is it going to require for us to confront the slippage of integrity in our lives? This passage tells us, at least in part, the first thing that we're reminded here is what? Humble yourself before the Lord. So the one of the first things we can do then, it requires for us, is humility. And what is humility? God, I can't do this thing on my own right. I need you. I invite your Holy Spirit to help me in this area of my life. Lord, I acknowledge my weakness and my willfulness. And I submit myself to you as a man who is capable of, of doing many, many things that would break your heart. But I ask you, God, to strengthen my hand. I ask you, Lord, to put in me a desire to want to please you. I ask you, God, to give me your Holy Spirit so that I might live a life that is well-pleasing in your eyes and be a blessing to people who need me to show up and be a righteous man, not a perfect man, but a righteous man. A righteous man. That we may be able to say, by the time our day is done, like David, who was not a perfect man, but by the end of his day, he served the Lord in his generation. And God, God can give us the ability to serve him in our generation. But well, we have to ask him. We have to tell him our need and ask him to fill us with the power of his spirit that we may serve him well. So the first thing we're told here is to humble ourselves and to acknowledge our dependency. That there are some things, Lord, I cannot beat them on my own. I cannot do it. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I might be able to do certain things in the natural, 
in the human realm. There are certain things I can pretend to do, but at the end of the day, there are some things, Lord, and there are some things I can do, but at the end of the day, when it comes to serving you really well, living well, particularly in the type of culture that we have, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's power. And how does his power come? If we humble ourselves, what? We will be given grace. We will be given the resource that we need to live well for God in a very challenging time and in a very difficult culture. We can prevail, but it requires humility. What else, is, what else do we see there? In verse 9, I think it's something else that shows up. It, it says that, uh, verse 9, it says, Resist him steadfast, steadfast in the faith. That's commitment to me. So on the one hand, it requires humility, but on the other hand, it requires commitment. It requires a willingness to commit ourselves to something and to say, Lord, I am going to focus on being steadfast. It's a willingness, listen, um, a willingness to work, to be strong in God, a willingness to stick with things and not quit, a willingness to reprioritize my life so that I can better position myself to receive the power of God so that I might prevail and be the light. I mean, at the end of the day, what is it that makes us a success anyway? It's really how much we've loved God, how much we've given our heart to Him, and how much we've been willing to lay our lives down to be a blessing for others to live off of. Think about it. Why was Jesus great? Because He was willing to become a servant. And what was the true mark of a servant? A willingness, and I'm going to talk about it this weekend, a willingness to commit Himself so that others might be blessed. And some of us have little ones that need us to commit ourselves. Some of us have spouses. Some of us have friends. Some of us have brothers in small groups. They need us to show up. Amen. Amen. Let it be true, Lord. They need us. And we have to show up. So this whole idea of commitment and sticking with it and say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I can do it. Well, that was the whole point on the front end. We can't. But God, it's not a cliche. Do not hear me saying a cliche. I have been brought to places where no one needs to convince me about my ability to prevail. I already know I can't do it. Because I've watched myself. And I know what it's like to feel the darkness on you and to gorge yourself after you've fallen because you give up. I'll tell you, apart from God, we cannot do this. But with God, all things are possible. The blind will see. The bound will be set free. The cripple will be made to walk. Think about that beyond the physical. Some of us have not even closed in on even the first part of our true inheritance in God. We have only scratched the surface and we're thinking we're having a fine meal and we're actually eating scraps of what our potential really is. We have not fully taken advantage of the opportunity of what God wants to do in our life and the blessing he wants us to be. Because always the question will be, are you willing to commit to what God wants us, you to be so that other people can live out of it. That requires a willingness to put it on the line. That's what Keon was talking about. That's what you were talking about. Are you willing? When you go through that door, are you ready to get yourself into it? Because that's what, do you know what you're doing? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to step up? Right? Are you sure? Is that what you want? Because what he was saying is, if you're going to do it, don't do it halfway. Don't dabble. This thing, it'll eat you alive if you dabble. Go all the way, all the way. And, make, and we may not always feel it, but God, by your grace. And this leads me to the third piece on that. And look at that. Look at that. Look at the verse here. It says, you know, the word that stuck out to me, I've read this verse in 1 Peter 9 a long, uh, I'm telling you, five, verse 9, many, many times. But I never really connected, maybe because I wasn't thinking of it in terms of a, a men's gathering, but I never really connected with the idea of the same sufferings, the same temptations, the same challenges are being faced, experienced by your brotherhood. That word brotherhood stuck out to me. My brotherhood. 
my brothers in Christ share this same challenge. We're in this together. And that reminds me of this word, community. How do we, how do we close the integrity gap? We do it by acknowledging our need for God. We do it by deter determining in our heart that we're not going to quit even when we fail and, and we can fail and we do. And then by making myself become a participant with other men, other brothers, the brotherhood, as it were, of suffering, of fighting the good fight, the brotherhood, the idea of camaraderie, the idea of fellowship, the idea that I am not going on this thing alone. This, this is the, the walk of God was meant to be done with others and other men in particular. Because you know why? And I was having this discussion with my wife. I said, honey, I can only tell you, whenever guys get together, we inevitably, not always, but I mean, power and, and money definitely are issues, but nothing compares to sexuality. Because it's just, it's just so powerful. It's just out there everywhere we turn. It's so hard. It's so hard to live purely. It's such a challenge to be a Joseph. To be Daniel. It's hard. It's, and I say, you know what? And I, my heart goes out to guys who are fighting for their lives. Barely above water. Hating the very things. Like, I mean, Romans 7 comes alive. The things that I would do, I do not do them. The things which I hate, I do them. That is real. And there's something there. Whether it was, I don't know what Paul was talking about exactly. That the scholars debated. But I'll tell you what he, what he was connecting with, which is what a lot of men are going through right now. And I'm not saying that women don't have their struggles. But I'm going to say this. Guys have unique struggles. And we've, it's been all over the news. It's always there. Nothing surprises me anymore. I mean, I come through, I, I drive through this city every day of my life through a neighborhood. There are spirits everywhere, and I understand that. And I'm just, that is the reality. It is not easy to serve God, but it is the greatest thing and the most right thing we can ever do. That's the truth. And I feel in my heart that God really is calling a lot of us to trust him at new levels. I mean, at, um, we talk about in Proverbs 27, 17, how iron sharpens iron. We need one another. We need to be vulnerable with one another. We, we need to be able to call one another into accountability. And that's why I didn't choose. The, you know what? I was, I was trying to decide which word I wanted to use for, for the third point. And I came up with community. I was close to accountability. But I decided on community, and I think a community implies accountability. But I think sometimes accountability has to do with someone trying to, to, to sort of hold us in line. And I think it's valuable. Once we agree, that's what we want to do. But I don't think it's quite as tender of a word as community. And I think fellowship and camaraderie, and also another word that men don't like, but we absolutely need it, vulnerability. Because we're so afraid. A lot of people who are not afraid to get in a fight are afraid to be real in God. And you know what? Jesus' man of the hour was that guy. Peter could wield the sword, but he wilted under the spiritual beating he was taking. When the, when, when the pressure was being thrown on him in a moment that he wasn't accustomed to, he couldn't stand for God. And I think a lot of us understand that. There are times where we have strength, and there are other times when we wilt like a flower in the desert sun all alone. I mean, we just, we're like a house of cards down for the count. So quick. We concede things. We give our pearls up. I, it's God wants to strengthen our hand for this good work. There's a very important truth here. I mean, I, I know you guys have heard the verse a hundred times, but... Just again, look at James with me real quick here. I'm uh, just thinking about it as I'm talking with you. The idea of James verse uh, 15 of the fifth chapter, James 5, 15. Um, is, and the prayer of faith will save you, James 5, 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Some of us are sick. Some of us are in need of forgiveness. Pray the prayer of faith for one another. Confess your trespasses, verse 16, to one another. Confess your sins, your shortcomings, trespasses. You know what trespass is? It's the overstepping of a boundary. Don't hide it. Get it out. 
with the trusted one. Call it what it is. Don't hide it. Be honest. Confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? What's the Bible? Look at what the Bible says. The effective, fervent, sincere prayer of a person who is right, not perfect, a righteous man, right man, person who's right, who's trying to serve God, it has availeth much. It has tremendous power. There's power in confessing and praying together for healing and strength by the Holy Spirit. There's what the Bible is telling us here, power and vulnerability in community. That one of the ways that we close the gap on our slippage of integrity is by committing ourselves. That's why we press into small groups. That's why if you're not a part of one, we encourage you to sign up and get involved in one. That's why those of you who are responsible for the great honor of leading one should take it very seriously. The prerequisite is not perfection. Because if it was, none of us could stand. But it is a right intention and a desire to want to live with integrity, a desire to want to close the gap on those, two, on those two circles, to become more and more concentric and aligned with what God wants to do in our lives. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about those two illustrations, and I thought, it's important that if we're experiencing a slippage of integrity, guys, that we do not ignore it. If you have noticed, stay with me, stay with me. If you have noticed that what was once a closely aligned, two closely aligned circles have begun to slip. Now, it's, you're, not, you're, you're still loving God and, and you're still going to church, but there's been a, a degrading. Not the movement of the right, not the movement towards this, but there's been a movement away from this. And if you're noticing that slippage of the, of, the, of the gap of integrity between what we say we believe and what we're actually doing in our secret lives, because the Bible says, I was talking about this, and I'll mention this a little bit later when I, when I give some thoughts around what's happened in the news with Ted Haggard. But I was thinking about this, certainly with God, and it's more true for those who are in a public place, but it's true for all of us. Listen, guys, inevitably our sins will find us out. God says, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. If if we are willing to take ownership in our own heart and to, honor and to acknowledge it, then a lot of things we will be spared from having to deal with the consequences of. But if we try, if we don't do it, inevitably, God will show it and reveal it. I call that the window of grace, and every one of us has it. And there's a point where God says, you deal with this or it will be dealt with. It's true for a church. It's true for a people. It's true. And you ask, I don't, why do you show your dirty laundry, Lord? I don't know why God risks his reputation with people who, who constantly hurt him, but he does. He's, he's chosen to risk his reputation with flawed people. And you know what? He only asks us to own things and to deal with them. That's the truth. Here's the, here's the third piece. If we don't deal with it, then what inevitably, now this is more significant than we can imagine because notice, a loss of self-respect. I'll tell you what, I almost toy with the idea because I saw this model years ago and I, rem I remembered it. But I, I noticed this. You know what? It's not just a loss of self-respect because we don't respect ourselves because we know we're living disconnected. We're saying one thing, we believe, at least we believe one thing, but we're living in a whole different way. That, that will kill you. It will destroy you. It is the scarlet letter on the man's chest, killing him. You read the scarlet, you think, you read that book, the, pa the preacher who's living with his secret. The lady is wearing her scarlet letter. She's shamed. He's got his scraped on his body because he can't be real. And he dies physically because of what's happening inside of him spiritually, mentally and emotionally. Very powerful story. I'm glad I read it as an adult and not a kid. I learned a lot from it. But if you think about this, this whole idea of losing our self-respect, I was thinking about um, how sometimes we, it's not just a loss of self-respect. Listen, not only is it a loss of me respecting myself, can you see it? Take the word, take the dash and the word respect off. And what do you have? The loss of self. It, it's not just a loss of self-respect. We begin to lose who we really are. 
we become, listen, two people. It's the loss of self. I've been thinking a whole lot, and some of you are familiar with Ted Haggard and that whole thing that's been in the news. I know it's, it's, it's receding now on the post after the election, but in the church world it's been reverberating for days. It, it, uh, here was this, this wonderful pastor of a very large church in Colorado Springs, the president of the, of the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals, uh, honestly a good man. But he had gotten to a point where he had lost himself. I was reading his letters, almost made me cry. He had to write a letter to his church. His wife wrote one too. Most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was what she wrote. It made me weep. This guy, he, again, his whole story, I'm not going to go into it. I, I, I will read you one thing, though, about it. Because um, uh, it says here that he uh, gradually admitted to purchasing meta. What do you call it? Meth? Okay. And, uh, and the services of a male prostitute. He's, he was doing this for, a num for actually increasingly over a couple of years. We don't know all the details about it. But at the same time, what was the sad was that he, listen to what he writes. This is hot off the press. This was last week delivered at their church. I'm, I'm sharing this with you to illustrate what I'm talking about. He says, I ask that you take this, I ask that this note be read to you this morning so I could clarify my heart's condition to you. The last four days have been so difficult for me, my family, and all of you, and I have further confused the situation with some of the things I've said during interviews with reporters who would catch me coming or going from my home, but I alone am responsible for the confusion caused by these inconsistent statements. The fact is I am guilty of sexual immorality and I take responsibility for the entire problem. I am a deceiver and a liar. And there is a part of my life that is so repulsive and dark that I have been warring against it all of my adult life. For extended periods of time, I would enjoy victory and freedom and rejoice in it. Then from time to time, the dirt that I thought I was gone would, and was gone from me would resurface and I would find myself thinking thoughts and experiencing desires that were contrary to everything I believe, everything I believe and teach. Everything contrary to everything I believe and teach. Notice, I go on here. He says, through the years, I've sought assistance in a variety of ways with none of them proving to be effective in me. Then because of pride, what was the first thing we talked about? Humility. Because of pride, I began deceiving those I loved the most. Because why? I didn't want to hurt or disappoint them. But instead of coming clean, he, he further separated into two people. And it says here, the public person I was. This was interesting to me because of what I was preparing to share. He says, the public person I was wasn't a lie. It was just incomplete. I had separated it. That mean, that, think about it. Uh, when I stopped communicating about my problems, the darkness increased, and it finally dominated me. As a result, I did things that were contrary to everything that I believe. Now, a few, a few days later, a man who I admire and an author I greatly uh, have been benefited from over the years, a man who had his own failure at a much earlier stage in his life, Gordon McDonald, wrote this about what I just shared with you. Just keep, stay with me, just for a couple of minutes on this, guys. This is Gordon McDonald's commentary on everything that was happening. And one of the paragraphs really stood out to me. He says, we are still in the process of learning what was actually transpired over the past many months on the secret side of Ted's life. He's talking about Ted Haggard. He says, Sunday, the leadership of the New Life Church announced that he has been asked to resign and his ministry at New Life Church and as leader of the National Association of Evangelicals is over. Okay, he, he acknowledges that. But this is what got me. He says, I have spent more than a little time trying to understand how and why some men and women in all kinds of leadership get themselves into trouble. Whether the issues be moral, financial, or the abuse of power and ego, I am no stranger to failure and public humiliation. From those terrible moments of 20 years ago in my own life, I have come to believe that there is a deeper person in many of us who is not unlike an assassin. This deeper person can be the source of attitudes and behaviors we normally stand against in our conscious being, but it seeks to destroy us and masses energies that, unrestrained, tempt us to do the very things, to do the very things that we believe against. 
If you have been burned as deeply as I have, and my loved ones as well, you never live a day without remembering that there is something within that, left unguarded, will go on the rampage. Wallace Hamilton once wrote, within each of us, there is a herd of wild horses all wanting to run loose. And this really, I think a lot of us can relate to this, this whole idea of having to take seriously the assassin within. I was reading another pastor um, who was talking about, and again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm sharing with you the context of a pastor, but I want to take, as Christian men, just as Christian men, he was talking about the steps he was taking and how some of them seemed silly to people, but it was absolutely important for him to safeguard himself. In his case, he talked about five things that he did and his staff did. And uh, the first two, uh, he, he happened to mention were one, he never, he never rides in a car alone with a, another, another woman other than his wife or family member. That's one thing he did, a rule that they established. Another thing that he did, which I thought was, he says, he never travels alone, ever. And I know all of us don't have these luxuries necessarily, but he said that he made the case to the church that it was better for the church always to have some pay for someone to accompany him than to send him alone for their own benefit. Because he realized that a lot of the problems that guys get into is when it's connected to some trip they've taken or some trip on, a, on the computer somewhere. Both those trips can take us into bad places. And one of the things, you know, you've heard me talk about this at the men's retreat, but I've had to be very spartan in my own use of the computer because I've sensed vulnerability in that area. And sometimes I'm kind of, I'm kind of the Luddite of the office. A Luddite is, is, is a word. That's a half a joke there. A Luddite is someone who, who is sort of uh, not in fully embracing the advantages of technology. In fact, almost as anti-technology, right? And the reason I've, do, I've done that, I, I write my stuff out on a pad, I'm not, pad and paper. I'm simply telling you is because there are certain things that I don't want to allow to have a foothold in my life. And I've kind of acknowledged that. And so I, for me, certain things work. What is the point? He went on to say this. The, the point wasn't about legalism. He goes, I know some people say, well, hey, you know, why do you have to do all these little things to safeguard yourself? Why? He says, you don't have to do it, but, but there are things that if we do, it would be very wise for us to do it. Here's what he, he used this analogy. I thought it was fantastic. He said, you know what? It's kind of like I've been driving on this road, and I was on this road. It was a two-lane road, and, it, and actually it so narrowed, and it was very high. And I've been in the Sierras driving on a very narrow road. And he says, you know what? Theoretically, he goes on the road, he goes, it was very narrow. On the other side of that road, he says, I could see down below that if I had slipped off this road, I was dead. He goes, but you know what? As long as I stayed on the road, even though it was narrow and precarious, it was safe. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something. He says, when I'm on that road, even though the solution is just stay on the road, and I could do it. He goes, I sure love having those guardrails there. <laughs> I love those guardrails. He says, now, it's true, I don't theoretically need the guardrail because I could just hang on that road and just drive, keep my eyes there and kind of not get up. But he says, but just having that guardrail there, it just does something. And that's why I'm saying, challenge the things in your life. Ask God to, to give you wisdom on what is a proper guardrail for you and then get account share it and commit to it and try to live with it. It will be life to you. Say, well, you know, do I really need that? You don't have to, but it might save you. It might save you. I'm getting more and more. I, 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 you know what? Here's the challenge. Like, well, we don't want to be a moralist. We don't want to be, you know, a Pharisee. You don't want to be, uh, you know, overly religious. Do you want to live? Do we really want to do this? Do we want to serve God? Do we want to prevail? Do we want to be a good example for our kids? Do we, how are we going to deal with this uh, assassin within? And there are forces, according to the scripture, without. Within and without, all around me, squeeze me in to this culture, tell me no problem, just adapt, go with the herd, numb yourself to death, Shoot yourself up, run wild, 
The eye gate never satisfied. Or are you going to live for God? Who will? Who will? See, that, that, that's the question. And what are we willing to do about it? And I'm saying it's worth taking efforts to protect yourself. It's worth taking efforts, doing the things that for other people might seem pretty silly and like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. But you know what? That's a guardrail for me. I'm going to live by it. And by the end of the day, if I do periodically veer off course, I've got that guardrail there for a reason. Because I, I don't trust my capacity never to make a mistake. I can fall asleep at the wheel. I can get myself into trouble. I'll show you one last thing because I don't want to kill you guys with just stuff, but I've been thinking a lot about this. But there's a quote that came up. Put the, can you put the quote up? The measure of a man's real character. Oh, man, this, this is deep stuff. This is deep. That is deep. Think about that for a moment. The true measure of a man's character is what he would do if he knew he would never be found out. I was wrestling with this. What would we do? Because sometimes it's only fear that holds me, hold, has held me back at certain things. I thought, God, I, I don't know if my character is developed at that level. Because if I thought I could get away with it, perhaps I would. The real measure of our character is what we would do if we knew we would, if for sure, we would never be found out. For sure. See, God wants us to have such a heart for him. So formed and shaped into his image. That it wouldn't matter. That would not be the issue. The issue would be that God sees. And God knows. And I live for him. See, that's true concentricity, isn't it? That's truly the son does only that which the father speaks to him. I mean, that, that is, Lord, may my motive. It's a good motive to say, well, I don't want to do it because if I do, it'll be found out and I'll be ashamed. And people, you know, what, you know my wife or my kids or I'll lose my position or this, or people won't respect me in the church, or I won't like myself, you know, I mean, if they find out, I just, I'll feel ashamed, guilt, I don't want to deal with that, so I'm not going to do it. That's one thing, but I'm going to tell you, the deeper level is, oh, is Lord, I don't want to do this because it'll break your heart, and I've given my life to you. I made a decision to serve you. I gave my heart away. I threw in my hat. Will you also go away? Lord, where will I, where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Everybody's leaving. We're not leaving. We're with you. You're going to go to, where are we going to go? I've given, I, you know what, I love Peter. I've thrown, he maybe, he maybe couldn't always live up to what he said, but he said great things. And he threw his hat in the ring. He says, I've already made my decision. I'm not going anywhere. And even Thomas, who gets ridiculed a lot, the doubter, which I know he was, what did he say? Let us go to Jerusalem to die with him. I like that. Maybe it was weak. He didn't see Jesus getting past it. And he was actually right. But at the same time, I love it because it was loyal. We're going with you. We already made our decision. We made our decision. And I'm going to tell you, I made my decision. And I hope you made yours. We decided to follow Jesus. Many of us got baptized. I got baptized right here. Some of you were baptized in other places. Some of you haven't been. You need to be. Go to the baptism class and get baptized. It doesn't matter how long you believed. Do it. Make the statement. For those of us who have, remember what we said there. I, that's why I love communion. Some of us haven't been going. You need to go. You need to go. Because I'll tell you why. With your community. Why? Because it's time to say, every time I take that cup and drink, the, and, and drink it and take the bread, I am saying, I am yours. Help me to live up to that. God, by your grace, I am yours. I want to be someone, Lord, who gets closer to that. 
to, to being a person who lives, makes the right moves because it didn't matter if I would be found. That's not the issue. It's because it's right in your eyes. Guardrails, God. So, Lord, we're here as brothers. In fact, guys, I'd just like us for a moment if we can. You know what? As I close in prayer, I want you to just bow your knee with me before the Lord. You just, if you can, you can do it right in front of the seat. We're, we're here before you, Lord, with our a mighty rumbling, God, with our knees bowed before you. And Stuart, can you come and just kind of play for me that, that uh, rejoice, uh, consuming fire you were going to, just kind of play it. But I, wanna, I want us to pray together. Um, here. If that just kind of lead that through very gently while we're bowed before the Lord, consuming fire. Oh, we're just before you right now. And we invite your Holy Spirit as we, as we are in a position of humility before you, we invite your Holy Spirit to work right now in our hearts, God, and to stir us towards you. We want to pray for the the spirit of the living God to give us courage to stand for you, Lord. We've thrown our hat into the ring. We've already said, Lord, we are yours. Help us, God, to do what is necessary, to do what needs to be done. Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Yes. And I know I can't do this, Lord, without you. So right now, God, we ask you to help us serve you well, to be good men, to be godly men, to love the good and hate the evil, to cling to the good and abstain from that which is unworthy. Give us courage, strength, resolve, resolution, to be men of integrity, maybe not perfect, but increasingly aligned, Lord, and willing to correct things and close the gaps when necessary. So we'll just bring our hearts before you right now. These next couple of minutes, as Stuart just leads us through this song gently. Our hearts are before you, God. Then this spirit of God we wait for you. be more than this Spirit of God we wait for you fill us anew we pray yes, Lord. fill us anew we pray consuming fire fan into yes lord a passion for your name spirit of god fall in this place lord have your Lord, we just sing this to you, God, together as men before you. On this Friday night in the month of November in San Francisco, we sing to you, God. There must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this Spirit of God we wait for you fill us anew we passion for your name Spirit of God 
lay gently, Stuart. I'm going to pray. And Lord, I just lift up um, the men of Cornerstone before you, of which I am a part, God. We confess our, our sin and brokenness, Lord. And um, Lord, we say absolutely that we are yours, God. Um, if you'll have us, we will go. And we know you call us, Lord. Where else where we go, Lord? You have the words of life. I pray that you will raise up out of this, uh, this people, these men, Lord, this brotherhood as we read, that there would come forth an emerging sense of uh, responsibility. Lord, that we would begin to uh, respond to you firstly and to not be afraid of the weight that you want to put on us. It's very easy, God, to look at our own inadequacy or other things we have going on in our lives and justify not carrying weight, contending, Lord, to be a weight bearer. But I want to suggest that just as real as there are pillars holding up that balcony, Lord, right there, that we need men to stand up, God, and be counted. We need men to stand up and bear the weight Bear the weight for their families. Bear the weight for their friends. Bear the weight for their brothers. I pray for the group leaders, Lord, in the men's ministry and those in, who inevitably will be group leaders, God. I pray that you would put in them a passion to live with integrity at such a level, God, that, they would, that there would just be things that would be burned out of their lives and a newfound confidence would begin to emerge. I pray for the leaders of the men's ministry and for Kiung and his team of leaders, God. I pray that you would anoint them. Anoint them. Keep them from the enemy. Keep them from the evil one, Lord. Uh, give them purity in the inner man, Lord. As David said, Lord, cleanse me even from secret sins. Lord, you know the inward sins, God. You know the things that we would, we would not let anyone else see, but you see them. And I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse me from them and cleanse us from them, Lord, and keep us from them, God. Uh, give us strength and courage and give us a, 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 a willingness to want to contend uh, for, the, for the responsibility that you want to put on us, God. Let us not run away, but our confidence is in you. And so I just thank you, Lord, for what we have attempted to do this night. And I pray that we would encourage one another in the faith, the faith once delivered, Lord, that we would live well for the glory of God and our life would make a difference, Lord. How many of the little ones, God, um, are meant to, meant to live because... We're willing to serve them, God. We're willing to follow through with our commitments, Jesus. We're willing to be good men all the days of our lives. How many younger ones in the Lord are destined to come into the kingdom and be strengthened and delivered because we are willing to, to do what is necessary, Lord, to be the example and the mentor and the model, Lord? Is there not a man who will stand up was the question. And, and Lord, I pray that there will be men who will stand in the gap and be difference makers for you, Lord. And, and we don't say it with false bravado, Lord. There's nothing here false. We've been, and we, Lord, to those of us who know what it's like to have to fail and, and, to, and to be beat up, God, we, we don't come with big words. We just, we just come with a big God. And we pray that you would, you would show up, Lord, and begin to do amazing things in our own heart. And let, us, let our faith increase. And let us uh, throw out dirty laundry and put on new garments. And let us, Lord Jesus, dispense poor habits and, and put up instead safe boundaries and guardrails that will keep us, Lord. Let's not just keep doing the same things over and over again like a vicious cycle. Lord, yes, there's repentance, but there's a point where you want us to get wise and to be honest about what we can and can't expose ourselves to. I pray for wisdom. I pray that we talk about these things. Contend for them, Lord. Bless many to the lives of all who are here, young and old, new and, and long in the, tooth, in, the, in the faith. Lord, stir our hearts. Challenge us, God. Give us confidence. Let each one experience your grace as we leave this place this night. Strengthened in the Lord, in the way of the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hug three or four people in Christ. Bless one another. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. Bless one another. Thank you, Lord. Just kidding. There must be more than this. Spirit of